taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a tail tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them. Now, I want to, first of all, talk about this first verse. And Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, you say, well, is this significant? Well, it would be if your name was Uzziah. <laughs> it certainly would. But it's significant because King Uzziah was an important figure in the nation of Israel. I'm going to read to you something from uh, 2 Chronicles 26. And it talks about King Uzziah. In verse 1, it says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king of the room of his father, Amaziah. So he became a king when he was 16 years old. It's a lot of responsibility for a young man. And then it says, He built Heloth and restored it to Judah. And after that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old when Uzziah, when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. So King Uzziah, he was 16 years old when he ascended to the throne, and he reigned for 52 years. Now think about that. The average term for a leader in our country is four years, and if he's reelected, he's only able to serve two consecutive terms. But here the nation of Israel has had the same leader for 52 years. And it was a prosperous time. The scripture says in verse 4 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord God, made him to prosper. That's the truth for you and me too. If we're going to prosper, if we're going to see the hand of God on our lives, we've got to seek the Lord. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And the scripture says that we, when we seek him, when we search for him, we will find him when we search of our hearts Amen. I want you to search for the Lord with all of your heart this morning this is a time when we can seek God things have slowed down for us and and uh, in a lot of ways we look at it as being a, a curse but it might turn out to be the greatest blessing we've ever had a time to reflect upon the mercies of God let's go on to read and it says that this Isaiah he went forth and he warred against the Philistines and break down the walls of Gath and the wall of Jabeth and Ashdod, and built cities about Ashdod, and among the Philistines. You see, the Philistines had long been an enemy, a thorn in the side of the children of Israel, and yet God, through Isaiah, granted them victory over their long-term enemies. It says that the Amorites gave gifts to Isaiah, and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of, G of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. God was multiplying the influence of King Uzziah. Under the reign of Uzziah, God had blessed 
the nation of Israel. And it says that he built towers in Jerusalem at the corner of the gate. Verse 10, he built towers in the desert. He digged many wells, for he had much cattle. More, in verse 11, it says, Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael the scribe. And it says, The whole number of the chief of the fathers, verse 12, of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. And under their hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,500, that made war with mighty power to help, king, to help the king against the enemy. It says, He prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and habergeons and bows and slings to cast stones. And He made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And His name spread far abroad, for He was marvelously helped till He was strong. He had invented this, this ancient slingshot, if you will, and his military might and the genius of his military ability was greater than anything that had come before him. And Israel had prospered and God had, had increased the, uh, the influence of, of Israel and King Uzziah. But how many of you know sometimes that the, the real problem comes not in times of trouble but in times of prosperity? Sometimes we're at the greatest risk when we are prosperous, not when we are facing adversity. And it says... In verse 22, it says, And in the time, excuse me, it says, As I have prepared stones, it says in verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. That is a concept throughout the Bible. Pride goes before a, halt, a fall, a haughty spirit before destruction. And here, he has been lifted up, and he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of the incense. And I'm going to go back to Isaiah 6 now, and I'll paraphrase what happened. But it says after that Uzziah, he went into was not his, his responsibility. This was reserved for the priest only. You see, when we get out of our, our place and we try to assume authority that God has not delegated to us, then we become candidates for the judgment of God. And here, Uzziah, he had become a law unto himself. Even though God had helped him to reign for all of these years, he began to think that he could judge and do what was right in his own eyes. And when he did, he was smitten. The scripture says that the priest tried to withstand him when he tried to offer the incense. But he was enraged. He tried to do it anyway. And as soon as he reached forth his hand to offer up the incense, the Bible says he became a leper. And he was driven from the house of God. So here's a man that had sought God who had become a king at age 16 who had reigned 52 years. And yet he died as a leper separated from the presence of God, unable to go into the house of God to worship. And his death would become a metaphor for the nation of Israel. So we're back in Isaiah 6. And what did Isaiah say? He says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He got a vision of God in a time of crisis. Does that sound familiar, church? Does it sound familiar? In our nation, we're experiencing a crisis. But I want you to see God. God is still there. Some people are saying, where is God? Well, Isaiah answers the same is true for us as it was in Isaiah's day. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord, but the Lord was not, uh, he was not on the earth. It said his, he was sitting high up on a throne and, and his, his train filled the temple. Even though there's chaos in the earth, even though the kings, uh, the, the heathen rage and the kings and the people of the earth imagined a vain thing, God is high and lifted up, church. God is on the throne. God is still in power. The world is in chaos, but God is in power. Your life may be in chaos right now. You may be experiencing financial difficulty. You may be experiencing trials in your health. You may be experiencing trials in your family. You may be experiencing tri trials in your mind. I'm reading about all the cases of people that are dealing with mental-related illnesses, anxiety and depression, and, and it is a re very real concern. But I want you to keep in mind that no matter what's going on in the earth, God is still high and He's still lifted up, and His train fills the temple. Amen. The glory of God. And he got a revelation of these creatures in verse 2. The seraphims. Now in the Hebrew, their name means burning. They were burning. And our Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Our God is a consuming fire. Our problem is we've got our eyes on the world. We're comparing ourselves to people. And when you measure yourself against people, you'll always come out looking pretty nice and shiny. It's when you say, well, I'm doing better than so-and-so. Well, the problem is they're not the standard. We need to get a revelation, not of our brother and our sister. We need to get a revelation of God and see the one who is high and lifted up. Hallelujah. Amen. And they covered their faces. You know why they did? Because they were in awe. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. When people had an encounter with God, it was a frightening thing. When John saw Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos, the man who had leaned on Jesus' breast, he went into a coma pretty much. He was terrified. Jesus had to lift him up and say, don't be afraid, John. I'm the one who lived and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Glory to God. When you get a revelation of God and who he is and his holiness, it will give you a realization of the sinfulness of human, human beings. They cried. What was their cry in verse 3? They didn't cry, love, love, love. They didn't cry, grace, grace, grace. The cry that the seraphim made, the burning ones, was what? Holy, holy, holy. I believe we need a revival of the holiness of God. We need to get a picture of the, of the mercies of God and the grace of God. But we need to see God for who He is. He is holy. He is completely separate from sinners. He is undefiled. There is no spot in Him. There is no wrinkle in Him. There is no blemish in Him. There is no fault in Him. He is perfectly high and holy and undefiled and separate from sinners. The Bible says in verse 4 that the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. The, the post of the door in the temple of God. And I believe he was the only temple here. And they were shaking. I hear people say sometimes, I wish God would just show up and show out. No, you don't. Because if, if God showed up and showed out, your knees would come unglued. Your body would disintegrate. You'd get a revelation of who you are and who God is. And let me tell you what's going to happen. He tells us in verse 5. Isaiah says in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me! Now, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, Isaiah pronounces six woes on the nation of Israel. And I would encourage you to read that in your own study time because it sounds a whole lot like the country that we live in. 
We live in a time where we've had tremendous prosperity and success for many years. We've had rest from the hand of our enemies. God has blessed this nation above all the nations on the face of the earth. God has given us a precious freedom that we, that we have enjoyed. And for far too long, we've taken it for granted. Just look at today. We're meeting outside in a drive-in service. And, and because we are concerned about our liberties being taken away, let me tell you what, the world can take a lot of things away. Can't take away your salvation. Can't take away the joy of the Lord from your heart. We need to re remember that there are some things that cannot be moved. God is shaking some things, church. God is shaking some things so that the things that cannot be shaken might remain. And the post of the Lord, post the door of the house of the Lord, they were shaken. And God revealed himself. And when Isaiah saw it, he said, woe is me. You see, he had been pronouncing woe. One of our f famous phrases that we quote a lot of times. The Bible says, woe to him that calls evil good and calls good evil. Do you realize that's what we do in our country now? We, we say abortion is a good thing. We say that Planned Parenthood is a good thing. And we say that those who preach the truth of the word of God are evil. They're troublemakers. We live in a time just like Israel did in Isaiah's day when men are calling good evil and calling evil good. But God is calling us to repentance. That's what God is calling. And when you get a revelation of God. Now remember Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah is one of the good guys. He's a pastor if you want to say it that way. Do you know what? Not only do the people need a revelation of the holiness of God, but the pastor does too. Amen. I, I put my pants on one week at a time, just like you do. I, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like all of you are. I need the mercy and the grace of God. Here was the man that was the leader of God's people, and yet when he saw God, he said, I am undone. He had been pronouncing curses on other people, but now he curses himself. He said, woe is me. I'm undone. John MacArthur calls it the trauma of holiness. I believe that we need a revival of the trauma of holiness. We need to understand that God is not like a cosmic Santa Claus in the sky. He's not like a human being who just winks and looks the other way. He is a God whose word is forever settled in heaven. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. We've got people trying to change the word of God to make it suit their own lifestyle. They're, they're trying to, we've got preachers in the pulpits who are nothing more than hirelings. And they preach, they tickle men's ears. And the Bible said in the last days that men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, desiring to hear fables. But man of God, let me implore you, preacher that's watching this today, you preach the truth of God's word. Don't preach for the, for the applause of the people. Don't preach for the money. Don't preach for the crowd. Preach the infallible word of God on the day of judgment. You'll be glad you did. The prophet saw who he was from God's perspective. Notice what he says. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Notice he doesn't talk about any of their other deeds. Although there were many ungodly deeds going on. Idolatry, covetousness, greed, immorality, uh, sexual immorality, and all kinds of ungodliness. But notice the revelation that Isaiah got. He said, my mouth is unclean. You know what James says? He says, if any man can bridle the tongue, he's able to bring his whole body under subjection. Your tongue, in the natural, you ever notice when you go to the doctor... The first thing that he, that he usually asks you to do uh, after he asks you a series of questions is, is for you to stick your tongue out. You know why? Because he can look at your tongue with that depressor, and just by looking at your tongue, he can tell what's going on in the rest of your body. 
Your tongue is an indicator of things that might be going wrong in other places in your body. And James says the same thing. He says the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. And the tongue sets on course, the, the course of your life. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue is your thermometer. It is the barometer of your spiritual health. What, whatever's in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. I've learned that, Brother Ronnie. I've learned that if you want to know what people are really into, if you'll just hang out with them long enough, you'll find out because they're going to be talking about it. They're going to be talking about it. What are they talking about? Are they going to be talking about filth and ungodliness and worldliness and uncleanness? Or are they going to be talking about Jesus Christ and talking about the Word of God? The Bible says that the tongue, and, and when, in Romans, when God describes the, the plight of ungodly men, and by the way, that describes every one of us that comes into this world, he says, there's none that speaks, uh, there's none that seeks after God. He says, their throat is an open grave. In their mouth is the poison of vipers and asps. Our mouth, and Isaiah said, my, my lips are unclean. You know what God's looking for a man to do or a woman to do? He's looking for a man not only to confess his sins, but to begin to intercede for his people. And that's what Isaiah was doing here. And it says in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. You know, it's almost barbecue season. Well, it is barbecue season here in North Carolina. And I, how many of you still like to cook with charcoal? Show of hands. Anybody still like to cook with charcoal? You just can't beat it. I, now, I love the gas. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there's just something about that charcoal flavor. But I'll tell you one thing I don't want you to do is to take a, a hot charcoal off the grill and put it on my mouth. No, thank you. So what, what is this? Why did the, the seraphim take the live coal in his hand and put it on the lips? Notice what it says in verse 7. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. The hot coals are a picture of, a to, of an atonement. Have you been to Calvary's cross to be cleansed? Have, you, have your sins been washed in the blood of Jesus? Have you come to Calvary for a cleansing? Have you, come, have you come to God? Just like Isaiah. Isaiah said, woe is me. Have you come to that place in your life where you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not my brother. It's not my sister who's in need of prayer. But I'm the one who needs it, God. Look on me and have mercy. I need the grace of God more than I ever had before. Is that you, beloved? Don't wait another day. Isaiah says, woe is me. And here's a picture of an atonement. Do you know it's God's nature to forgive? God, it is God's nature to forgive. God delights in showing mercy. God doesn't delight in showing judgment. God, have you read your Bible? The Bible says that God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the heart of God to forgive. He delights in showing mercy. He shows mercy unto thousands and thousands of those that fear him. The Bible says that if, if the Lord should mark iniquities, not a one of us should stand, but there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. I love the words of the psalmist. Praise ye the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Praise ye the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Bless ye the Lord. I will bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. I will praise him because his mercy is new every day. Isaiah experienced the mercy of God. Now, once he experienced it, notice what he said. Verse 8. Uh, excuse me. God said this. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for 
us. There's a Trinity statement built in here. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Ghost are having a divine council here. And they're saying to one another, who will go for us? Who will go for us? God is asking that question today, Deep Springs and visitors here at the drive-in service. Who will go for us? John's gospel tells us that the one who's seated on the throne here, now Isaiah doesn't tell us, but in John's gospel, and I'll give you a homework assignment for you to find it. Don't do it right now because I'm about to wrap this up. <laughs> but give you a homework assignment. Somewhere in the gospel of John, it says that Isaiah saw Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he says, who will go for us? And then said I, here am I, Isaiah said. You know, there's been a lot of people throughout the years who have said, here am I. But before you can say, here am I, you've got to say three more words, woe is me. When you can come to the place and you say, woe is me, and you repent before God, and God gives you a cleansing, then you're going to, when you see the mercies of God, when you experience it like Isaiah did, you tell somebody about it. You're not going to want to keep it to yourself. You're going to say, here am I, Lord, send me. And God says, go tell this people. Now, at this point, Isaiah's probably thinking, this is exciting. God's going to give me an assignment. And then God says, I'm going to give you one, but it's not the one you were looking for. He said, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna send you. And he said, go tell this people, hear ye indeed, but perceive not. See indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy. In other words, God says, I'm going to send you to a, a bunch of people that are not going to do what you tell them to do. Is that the kind of ministry that you are looking for? <laughs> Is that the kind of commission that you want from God? You want God to send you somewhere where the people are not going to listen, where their ears are going to be stopped and their eyes are going to be deliberately closed. I think it's Matthew Henry who said this. He said, there is no man who is quite so blind as the one who will not see, the one who refuses to see. And God says, that's the kind of ministry you're going to have. He said, but don't be discouraged. Now notice in verse 11, uh, Isaiah says, how long, Lord? That's the kind of question I would ask too. God, if you send me to a, a hard mission field, how long is this going to last? I might be willing to go for a week or two. I might could take it for a month even. I might could take it for, for maybe six months if God sustained me. But notice what God answered. He said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? He says to Isaiah, he says, I want you to go and preach. And he said, I don't want you to worry about timetables. I don't want you to worry about the results that you see with your eyes. He said, I just want you to be faithful to do what I've called you to do. And that's all we can do, church. That's all we can do is what God has called us to do. No more and no less. We preach, we plant the seed, and we water, but we, live the, we leave the results up to God. Here's the encouragement. For everyone who's ever had a ministry, and by the way, you've got one whether you know it or not, Every person here in this parking lot has a ministry. You may not be called a vocational ministry, but God has given you a ministry. You might be called to minister to your family. You might be the one that wins your spouse to the Lord. You might be the one that wins your coworker to the Lord. You might be one that, that leads your neighbor to the Lord. You might be one that has a thriving ministry. I don't know. God may call someone here to be the next Billy Graham. I have no idea. 
But let me give you some advice. Don't worry about the results. Leave the results up to God. Because he says in verse 13, he says, Don't be utterly discouraged, Isaiah. He said, because there's going to be a tenth. Not, not three-fourths. Not 80%. Not, not, not 90%. He said, but there's going to be a tenth. This is the doctrine of the godly remnant. God always has a remnant. Elijah thought he was the only one serving God in his day. And God said, Elijah, I need to clarify something for you. I've still got 7,000 men that have not bailed to the image of Baal. God has a remnant today. The question is, will you be a part of that remnant? Isaiah, ultimately, his people would be taken away in captivity. And that's exactly what was going to happen. Church, we live in a unique period in human history. We live in a time like never before. I hope you've been listening to our, our messages on Wednesday night. We've got a YouTube channel. I invite you to check that out too. We've got archive messages from, from months gone by. I want you to understand that God Almighty is coming again. The Lord is coming again. We don't know the day and we don't know the hour, but we can see the signs all around us. We can see that we are living in the last days. Just like every prophecy regarding the first coming came true. So will the second coming be. Jesus Christ will come again. He will come at a time when we're not aware. He will come and take us away. The Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the, the Christians will be changed to call, be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we, because we don't know that day and that hour, we must be vigilant. We must be people of prayer. We must be people of repentance. We must be people of holiness. We need to be people of the book. Spending time in the word of God. Witnessing to the lost. The time is short. Jesus said the night is coming. He said I must work while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. The night is coming beloved. The night is coming sooner than you think. We must work today while we still can. Because the night is coming when no man can work. So I want to encourage you with these thoughts. Even when the outlook is bleak. I don't know what the future holds. You know as much as I do. We're all watching the news and getting our information, and sometimes we don't know what to believe or what not to believe. But when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Because God is still on the throne. He's still high. He's still lifting, lifted up. He's still saving sinners. That's what he came to do. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. You may be lost here today, undone without God, but you don't have to leave that way. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you just simply call on God. You can call on Him right here in your car. You don't have to be inside of a sanctuary. You can call on the name of the Lord wherever you are and just say, God, woe is me. Save my soul. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you'll do that, God in His mercy will save you. And then get plugged into the local church. Get baptized in water. And let us disciple you so that you can go just like Isaiah and go for the Lord and leave the results up to Him. When the outlook is bleak, try the uplook.